Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where three hair whipping, heel strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. All right, all right. All right, so what have people been up to? I know Glenroy has been having a bit of R&R time, so... Not you know. R&R. I'm tell why I'm not clarifying, because the girl them loves to say, oh, every minute with that hotel and whatever, whatever, and we are use up the money, and now uh, help out to say, if I go up to hotel, is work I go there, go do. I give up mm-hmm. my and the J flag work, okay? What kind of, Mr. Um, what kind of work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sit down up and then make sure set the organization runs smooth and everything according to plan. So that's what I was doing. I'm actually really tired from my from that what looked like a weekend getaway. Upon the, the second day after most of the things were done, we're gonna take the last hour when most of the pools were closed to dip in the water two times and the local synchronized swimming snappers coming at you in 2024 Olympics. Fresh mm. fish, fresh fish. Oh, yeah, that's what, that was that. Um, but like I said, it was a very good week. I started teaching. Um, I love my classes. I, I gave them an assignment to do a Twitter thread on um, constitutional autochthony, which is a question of whether or not our constitutions are our own. I saw some of them doing it. I was like, oh, proud teacher moment. But yeah, things not go bad so far. You know, it's like when I said my classes ago, you have some very opinionated students, which I appreciated. I love, which I love when students have ideas that they're bursting at the steam to share. But yeah, there's nothing nothing else to report. How about you, Kareem? Um, right now, I don't know if I'm coming or going, if I'm up or down. So I'm feeling a bit lightheaded because I started this new cleanse um, yesterday. It's called the Green Smoothie Cleanse. And I haven't eaten solid food since then. And I don't know what's happening with me. But yeah, some of my body are work on us because my body have to look nice. I'm a look better at a shirt. I'm a buy from February 21 to wear from the beach. I'm going to buy it one size too small because wishful thinking. So, I have to start putting the work. You must care for them clean something and I'm drop on the road. I'm going to blow up. I think I'll be fine. I don't know. This is like my third time but this time i'm like yeah i'm doing it for real i'm gonna stick to my guns and i'm gonna be better and do better and blah 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 plus i went to the doctor my doctor was like i'm not gonna allow you to take any pills or anything if you're gonna do this way you're gonna do it the right way so i'm like fuck all right whatever so nothing special to report over here except that right now from the ear from the ear i'm gonna go too silent just send up a prayer for me (laughs) and what about you miss quanelle um, overall, the week was pretty good, uh, making some progress with school stuff, I guess. Um, really enjoying playing volleyball as well. And there's a possibility that I might, um, there might be a research opportunity on the way coming. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see what it looks like in the next few weeks. Uh, but the main thing, uh, so I had a whole session with my therapist about things that was going on in my life, things I want to do in the next couple of months. Um, so, I mean, long story short, I came out to my mother this past week, and as I guess kind of expected, she did not take it. 
um, very well. And so while we were supposed to talk about something else uh, this week, um, I had asked the guys to see if we could maybe make some changes about the topic so I can, I don't know, get some assistance in working through some of the, or whatever it is that I appear to be um, going through. So I guess just a bit of context, my mother is like fairly invested in the church and much of what um, I've been getting from her has to do with religious um, rhetoric. Um, contrary to some of the discussions that we've had before where we were seeing mothers typically know, um, the messages I've gotten from her suggest that has not, or that isn't the case. And so she's a little bit distraught at the I don't think it's that she don't know, or she never knew. I, sorry, I may fail to believe that. <laughs> Go on. With your pitch, she didn't must did figure out something. My pitch? <laughs> <laughs> wow. What I think it is, is that, because um, my mom went through a process of denial as well, and I think a lot of mothers convince themselves that, no, it's something else. And so when the rug is pulled from under their feet in whatever coming out or thrown out or rolling out process happens, then they have to deal with that kind of new normal. And just to say that I'm sorry that the response is not as favorable as um, we would all like, but um, a lot of it comes from a place of fear. Um, whether it is fear for your soul or fear for um, public ostracization or just, you know, fear that you'll get physically hurt. But that's where a lot of it comes from. So it's fear and love and care translated in whatever unfortunate ways that it oftentimes is. So I just want to put that out there. Right. And I mean, um, just I want to say a few quick things before I introduce our um, guests. It would be useful or easier if I understood what exactly she is um afraid of because i haven't really gotten a a sense of like what it like i mean besides the christian like the, the religion thing like what is it that she's actually um concerned about but in our coming out episode last season i had talked about the fact that um there's a certain kind of pride in you know talking about your child when they're abroad or in school or whatever and i think there might be a way that she's like struggling with um, I guess for lack of a better word, like the she, I'm like, how does she, how is she able to be like publicly proud of her son? Potentially might be something she's um, struggling with. But I also said in that episode that the, one of the funny things about Jamaicans is that sometimes our priorities are a bit fucked for lack of a better word. So um, one of the things that was said was it would be easier for her to digest if I was a, um, basically a player, um, that had a bunch of like you know women out on these streets or like whatever the case is but like this is the the ultimate um kind of like sin or or wrongdoing which i thought was kind of interesting um, so response as well um when that happened back in 2010 and i think and and quickly so we can introduce our guests is yeah. it's very easy to weaponize homophobia Batman is often a word that is used to bring down somebody who want like them better than you, right? It has mm. all other uses. So you can narrow the eye where you're picking, but you can You cannot respond to that effectively if you know it's true. And so some of it is that public shame, that um, feeling like you're not at the whims of others. And it's not even so much that you care so much what people think. It's just no one likes to feel vulnerable. 
and no one mm-hmm. like that people are able to you know hurt them when they least expect it so a lot of these things I found them more um come into play when parents recognize that this is now a reality that, that they've been running from but they know fully have to contend with because it's been really real mm-hmm. yeah and i'm hoping that we can use this episode as a way to kind of like talk about some of those experiences and with that i want to introduce our two guests um, so we have uh, Chanel and Marlon uh, joining us today um, to talk about relationships with mothers, coming out, um, navigating sexuality and identity and all of these things. Um, so can I get Chanel to go first and then Marlon can jump in? Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my name is Chanel. I'm originally from St. Lucia, um, but currently live in Toronto. I have been in Toronto now. I've been in Canada at least for the last 10 years, I think. Wow, it's been a decade already time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but um, it's really an interesting discussion because I think, um, Cornell, your sentiments and, and your experience with your mom is sort of similar to what I had when I came out to my mom. And so it would be interesting to see how our, our stories are parallel and, and, and um, the similar experiences that we probably do have with the coming out to my mom. So, yeah, I'm interested to, to speak about that a little bit more. Excellent. Marlon? Hi. Uh, yeah. So Marlon uh, from the UK. Um, been in Canada for about two years now. Uh, I probably should stop saying uh, to bring in right. So, um, yeah, kind of similar to what you have all discussed. I came out to my mum, had to come out to her twice, I think. Uh, The first time I came out to her, there was a bit of disbelief. And then it it kind of brewed and came round again. And, yeah, it was a bigger explosion the second time um, I came out to her. It's part of the reason why I'm in Canada, a small part, but like part of the reason why I'm in Canada because I kind of excommunicated myself from the whole family at one stage uh, just because of the noise that was going on around my coming out. So yeah, interesting discussion to get different perspectives on how that goes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I'm allowed to, to just add as well, um, Marlon is from the UK, but of Jamaican ancestry, um, if that helps in kind of like building some of the context as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, dope. Uh, so I guess one of the, okay, I guess maybe to start, we could kind of get a sense of um, how would you describe the relationship that you had with your mother growing up, and maybe we can use this as a leading to like what were some of your uh, fears or desires around like coming out, if you will, um, to her, and like some of the things that you had to consider. Um, around that question and like how to do it and what you know and then I guess we could kind of get into like what how that relationship has shifted um, since that conversation happened yeah well go for um well I mean let's have our guests go first because I feel the listeners have already heard so much about us so we just go in the same order so Chanel do you want to go first and then I'll go okay sure no no problem um so my mom and I have not have never really been close never been particularly close um and my mom moved to the U.S. Um, when I was about 18 or 19, I believe. Um, but I had always been pretty much independent. So I had lived on my own for a while. and had moved out of the house um, for a number of years since I'd been going to sixth form. I'd, I'd been living in a different part of the island. So when my mom moved from St. Lucia, it, it's just, it, we were just, it was just a phone conversation. That was the extent of our, our relationship, really. Um, but at the time, as I was, I, I came out pretty much at the time when uh, my mom was in the U.S. 
So I was in a relationship at that point. Um, and I, I felt it was important that my mom knew what was going on. Um, I had traveled with my, my partner at the time quite a few um, times to live. And we, we stayed at, at my parents' house in, in the U.S., um, and I decided, okay, this was the time to have the conversation with my, my mom and let her know that I, I was in a relationship. I was really scared to do it in person. And I, I guess chickened out and, and on one of my, my visits to New York where she was living with my dad, um, I wrote a letter to her and explained that I was in a relationship, uh, that I was gay and this is what the situation was. Um, I left the letter there knowing because she would normally be away um, during the week. And I traveled back to St. Lucia and left the letter in, in the room. Um, and then, so the weekend afterwards, she called on the Sunday um, and she was crying and she was like, oh my goodness, you know, like, why didn't you tell me? And similar to your experience, Connor, she's like, I, I, in the letter, I sort of explained, I, I think you, you probably know this already, um, but this is that I'm gay and, and um, this is my partner. And she just said, no, I, I absolutely did not know. I had no idea that this was what, what was going on in your life. Um, I really did not know. Um, and it sort of changed the dynamic of our relationship then because up to that point, she was quite comfortable and quite okay with me and my partner staying um, there when it was just that we were friends. So she didn't know that we were partners. But the moment that she knew that we were partners, it became, okay, I cannot have your partner here with you living under my house. So if you're coming to New York, you can come, you can stay at my place, but he cannot stay there. So it was like, okay. Um, so that was a, a, a big uh, change in our relationship. Um, and she sort of... She reached out to my aunt. She was really close to one of my aunts. And so she called my aunt um, and explained to her that, you know, I think she had that discussion with her, the whole tears and, and sort of grief moment with, with her close sister. Um, and then she called me and had the discussion with me. So that was, the, I guess, the first coming out to, to, to sort of echo what Marlon is, was, was um, talking about earlier. Uh, the second coming out really was when I was um, getting married and I wanted to introduce my partner. I'd moved to Canada now, settled here in Canada, and I wanted to introduce my partner to my parents. So I called them and said, okay, um, hey, I'm coming back to New York. I, I need to introduce you to this person. And she was very hesitant in terms of um, being open to meeting this person. She's like, I, I don't want to do this. But I was like, okay, if you're going to be in my life, this is important to me. And so you would have to, to meet this person. And as a true Caribbean woman, when she got there, she prepared dinner, she cooked. Um, we had a, a, a very good dinner. Um, but afterwards, um, when I said that I was getting married, um, she met the, I think I, she, I introduced her partner before, about a year before we decided that we were going to get married. Um, when we did decide that we were getting married, um, I had another conversation with her and she was just really not pleased with the fact that I was getting married. Um, when I went to visit her at some point, a few, about a month before, um, she had another discussion with me. She's like, I, I really don't know that this is the best thing for you. And I was like, mom, I really just do not want to have that discussion. Um, and so pretty much at this point, um, our relationship is sort of like, don't ask, don't tell. So it's like, she just doesn't acknowledge that I have a partner. Um, she will bring it up infrequently in conversation and, and mention him. 
but it's just like, okay, this is just not an aspect of your life that I will have a discussion about. And although I've been out to her for a number of years, it's just not something that we, we discuss. And I think it's still very, very painful for her. I, I, and, and I don't know how she grapples with it, but it's just a discussion that we just don't have anymore. All right. Um, wow. Okay. All right. So I'm sure we have a few questions, but let me just get Modern to jump in here and then we'll uh, talk about some other stuff. No worries. Um, first of all, just wanted to say, like, Chanel, cheers for that, because it's always a hard conversation to bring up. It's never an easy one. And to do it so coherently, like, major props. Um, so, yeah, how far to go back? So my mom brought me up like a single parent for the most part. Um, my dad's always been in the picture. He did just lived on the other side of London and was always around his house. So in a way, like the story about my mom is a bit complicated and I have to kind of bring him in a little bit. So, uh, yeah, growing up, I think my mom always kind of had an inkling, um, that I was quote unquote different. Um, and different, I guess, to her was the idea that like her child, her son, I'm the only kid for her as well. And so it was, he's brighter than most. There's definitely this level of pride that she had about touring me around the place to be this kid that was like, academic and bright and articulate and all these different things um but i also think at some stage there was a bit of an understanding that i wasn't really hanging around with the the same people ironically that she told me not to hang around with growing up right so when you're in a white dominated country it's not the same as like if i was growing up in jamaica or a black dominated country where i would have peer groups that would be uh, my color or like you know monoculture in that respect so there was a point at which she kind of decided that potentially my friendship circle was too quote-unquote white. Um, and that kind of was when some of the conversations around, well, who is gay and who isn't gay and where does gayness come from started to kind of take that particular lens and that particular angle that it's a white thing. Um, and so the first sort of coming out-ish to my mum was around 17. I had a, part, a boyfriend, definitely not a partner. Uh, he was 10 years my senior, so I was 17, he's about 27. And I disappeared from home <laughs> for about three days. Um, I thought I was grown, right? So at that stage, it was during the summer holidays. So there was no school in session. Um, and I remember by the time I came back, like I was a bit sheepish because I disappeared for the whole weekend. I tried to play the game of like telling my mom I was by my dad, telling my, my dad I was by my mom. Didn't work out <laughs> because by the time I got back to my mom, someone had called the police to work out like I'd been missing for 24 hours. And it was just this big hoo-ha-ha. Um, so I told my mum at that stage that like, yeah, I was at a guy's house and I kind of fessed up and it was definitely, um, wrapped up in this whole thing of feeling really guilty about the fact. Um, she wasn't best pleased by it. There's a lot of shouting. Um, she wasn't happy, but at the same time in my head, it's like, well, I'm soon going to university anyway. So what I'm going to do is just kind of pack myself up a bit quieter and a bit neater not give her any reason to um, come back to the topic. So I went to university and I left home um, and I went quite far away to a, to a different city, purposely as well. And so the second time that it kind of came out properly uh, was that I had a partner in the UK just before I left. So we were together for four years and there came a point where I'd met all of his family, his siblings, um, his mom, his dad, and he hadn't met mine and it was bothering him that he hadn't met mine. I was obviously less bothered by it because I'm like, I don't know if I want to introduce you to this whole kind of worms. And he, he's British as well. So there's, an, um, there's a level of cultural understanding that I don't think he appreciated um, about what it would be like to be Caribbean, what it would be like to be uh, gay in this situation. 
And so I, it got to a stage where this is where my dad's situation comes into it. It kind of echoes something that Cornell said earlier on, where my dad did something that was quite, I mean, to most other people, they would say it's a bit egregious, but as a Caribbean kid, it's pretty standard fare. Um, and it kind of made me go at odds with my grandmother. So uh, his actions, um, it basically, in essence, it was that he brought a kid that he'd had outside of the marriage with my stepmom to the family home and uh, put me in a bit of an awkward position with this kid. And it kind of just like blew up a little bit. So with my grandmother, so my dad's mom, my conversation with her was around, well, you know, that seems to be okay that we can have kids everywhere and bring them into the family as and when. But similar again, same thing that you were saying, Chanel, I was also told, you know, I can come to the family home, but I have to leave my sexuality outside of the home. And I kind of joked about, well, at which point do I zip it off? Like, do, do I leave like shoes at the front door? Like, what do I do to the sexuality thing? That seems to be so easy to take off. Um, and so to kind of like, to fast forward that, I ended up deciding, well, do you know what? If, if the, the state of play is that my dad can do whatever he wants to do because virility and manhood and masculinity is how many kids can I have in how many different parts of the world? Well, if my only sin is that I'm gay, then let me just come out of family. Like I've never been one to do dramatics or big arguments or big explosions. And I kind of felt to myself, well, you know, I kept it together for about 30 years. Um, so at this stage, I'm pretty good, right? Finances are fine. I don't really need my family for anything. The only problem was is that in excommunicating all of them on my dad's side, the only person I had to really turn to was my mum. So we kind of entered into a different tumultuous sort of relationship. She's with my stepdad at the minute, who is a Rastafarian. So that's a whole other situation going on there. And I just didn't remember one Christmas I came to the house and I was wearing a pair of uh, jogging bottoms. Um, I wouldn't say that they were particularly tight. They just kind of got tighter down towards the calf and the ankle. And I remember she called me upstairs uh, to tell me off about the trousers that I was wearing or the jogging bottoms I was wearing because they weren't uh, baggy enough. And I need to remember that, you know, my stepdad isn't into these kind of things and it's a lifestyle choice and, you know, choose different trousers. And it was just one of those moments where I thought to myself, wow, we've come so far in talking about this stuff, but we've kind of taken a step back. Um, fast forward again, though, she met that boyfriend. Uh, it was a bit tense. Like, she was very sheepish. I, I made sure that I met on neutral ground. So went to a restaurant, uh, made sure there's loads of witnesses just in case anything kicked off. Uh, she was fine um, and it was okay. She just didn't really like him. And I'm not too sure if it was a case of him being him or who, who he was for me. Um, but I'm seeing someone new now since I've been in Canada. And we're at the stage where she messages me to ask how he's doing on a first name basis and actually checks for him in a way that she never checked for the previous one. So there's been progress, like, and even I'm a bit stunned by some of the progress that's been made, but definitely not been an easy ride to get to where we are right now. Hey, Marlon, quickly. Was the previous one white? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is the one black? No, but so the current one is uh, part Aboriginal from Australia um, on one side and white German on the other side. So appearance wise would be white passing, but culturally very Aboriginal, which yeah. is good for me because it's yeah akin to what I know culturally. Is it, 
Let me give you the reason why she never checked for the first one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you didn't even have to give me the reason because when I said that, that's the reason already for what it is. But um, she was playing polite politics. So, yeah. Yeah, great. I just wanted to clarify for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Your black mother, I will know she didn't really, really check for no white woman. They don't really, yeah. But then it goes back to that point I was saying before about her thinking that it's a white person's thing, right? So if the first person that she's going to meet from me is a white person to her, how much of this has been influenced by them versus how much of this is, you know, you being led astray? And this is why it's such an interesting thing because the kid that she raised who's very headstrong, who knows themselves, who's this, that, and the third, why would I not know this side of myself and why would this be the part of me that's influenced by whiteness and white people and stuff like that? So that was an interesting conversation that we had to have at one stage. Well, I mean, that's something to talk about that I probably won't get into right now, but why do black communities um, queerness as whiteness? But that has a lot to do with homo-nationalism and pinkwashing. How LGBT movements globally have treated blackness, have not catered to blackness, have not taken intersectional approaches, and have used and have in many ways erased black queer experiences from the broader discourse and representation of queerness and also um how they've not been culturally sensitive in how they talk about homophobia within our context and how they're much more ready to point out homophobia within our context than in theirs because of how it manifests so if as a person living in a foreign or in a diaspora community in a majority white country um how quickly the negativity the negative frames of our culture is picked up and elaborated on and discussed broadly by our LGBT um, movement that's predominantly white, then homophobia develops as a resistance. But that's a broader discussion. But I think it is useful to recognize why um, for a lot of Black parents, there is this kind of... I agree. That's that's definitely one of them. I mean, it's not to say that. that Absolutely. That's definitely one of them. There definitely is also a thing uh maybe from the, the context of being diaspora from the uk where there's an element of when when we arrived as caribbean people in the 60s and the way in which we arrived our mannerisms our swagger those kind of things that we brought with ourselves too there's an element of there's a myriad of things like there were loads of the for example there were white people who wanted to sexualize young black boys and young black girls from an early age that was definitely one thing that my mom whether it was a white woman or a white man that I brought home, wouldn't have been happy either which way. Um, there's definitely a piece around the ways in which the, the culture was viewed in terms of Britain at the time as well. So that in essence, I guess what I'm saying is like, there, there's animosity from both ends, right? And so ultimately, I'm not exonerating or excusing anybody from it. What I definitely am saying is though, uh, regardless of the gender, if the person that I brought home would have been white, it definitely would have been a problem. Um, but at the same time, my mom's understanding of who I was dating was limited to who I brought home. So at the same time, I was dating everybody, black, white, everybody up in between. Um, but the, she only met two of my, well, she only met my last boyfriend and she's virtually met this one. But that's not a, an accurate representation, I guess, of who I've been dating in between. Just because the stories that we both share when I've been dating black guys too, is one where, well, I can't introduce you to mine you can't introduce me to yours. So what we're doing in the, in the background is a bit, we're just passing time because we're not even trying to consider creating a future together because it just doesn't feel like that's something that we can potentially do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 
but I, I'm, I'm glad we're kind of complicating that a little because it's something that we all have to grapple with this notion that you are converted by whiteness into this thing. And I mean, I was thinking about some of that topic recently, particularly looking at the Jamaican context. Um, and if you feel like your, your culture is on the fringes of society, then, and of course, within that same broader culture, something is particularly um, foreign to you in your own mind is, is celebrated, you know, all of that. But anywho, um, Cornell, I know you had questions, but I was wondering if I should go ahead with the fullness of my own story, because I think it's, it's a longer story, but, it, but I guess through it, you see the full arc of what goes wrong and what goes right. Yeah, I mean, I think it might be more uh, productive in terms of like, engage, like later engagement if we all have a sense of um, everyone's stories on the, the table and then maybe we could get into some of the other stuff. Um, so I know there were some things that you wanted to talk about. And then, um, I mean, Kareem, based on what I know of, of his uh, relationship with his mother, has, has come to a really a relatively good space so we can um, talk about that as well. Um, and then we can, I don't know, do more of a discussion part if that's okay. Okay, great. Um, so for me, um, bring me back to 2010. So long story short, I have a man. A man used to come check me out of yard because while 17, we both that high school, where we go go. So things just come out of yard, things just start happening. At the time, um, and by the way, I guess the backdrop, before we even go there, my, my mother raised me as a single mother for most of my life. And I, she never had another child after me until I was 14. So in certain ways, we grew up as best friends and my mother had me young. And so moving from different place to place, and then when we finally settled somewhere, it was really just me and my mother and whoever else was staying with us with at the time. So we were very close. Um, we had a really good relationship. And I think in my teens, she started to recognize the queerness more clearly and tried as best as possible to threaten me out of it, whether it was threatening to poison me or different things like that. So she, if, if she even thinks of something that there would be a threat. So there was, there were those moments, but it comes against the backdrop of two people who are just really close um, because that's just how it worked. Um, so when I'm 17 now, and she'll find out to me, I bring my heart, plays true. The experience of, through the fact that my stepfather's best friend was little, and he was very homophobic. And I, I mean, it was the other, I think it was, if not last year or the year before, probably last year that I really clocked how problematic it was for me growing up to have him around when he would constantly strike up conversation to um, kind of be homophobic. And, and I think it was his way of identifying whatever he identified in me and trying to get it out. Um, but I mean, I, I always defended myself well, principally, I mean, I've said some, you know, for talk, true things. So, I mean, so he finds out that, you know, my partner was coming over and this was happening. And he tells my parents the night of the 23rd of December, you could go Christmas season, you know. And in, when he, when I recognized that he found out that my partner had to just basically run out the house, um, there was a quick moment. I made it already part my bag then, and I said, well, you know, what I go do, say, I'm in a sense. I was still, I was watching my brother at the time. So, you know, whenever I get up and leave him, I was thinking about the options. And it was a brief, brief, very brief suicide attempt because I'm like, it's not going to make no sense. Anywho, so that was aborted car. It just wouldn't work for me. And I stayed home under the guise that he wouldn't say anything to my parents. 
Long story short, it is three o'clock in the morning. We get my mother get up, my mother wake me up and start with the antics, throwing things, yelling, screaming, calling my partner, yelling at screaming at him. It was a shit show. And she did say a lot of hurtful things. I mean, things that um, I generally have moved past, but until recently, they've really impacted how I've interacted. So, for example, when she would, there was that brief moment when she asked me, why didn't I go through with the suicide? And that was particularly painful at the time. And then there was this question of whether or not I sexually abused my brother. And that impacted me so much that I think until recently, I was very uncomfortable being around other people's children because it was, to me, that was the most insulting thing that was ever asked of me that I don't want anybody else to ever have the chance to ask me that. Um, And so for a period after almost getting kicked out of the house, being sent to stay with my grandmother for the Christmas season and being forced to agree to attempt to change um, or or not finish my education, I said, man, I changed. I mean, if you finish school, may have sense. and I was still seeing my partner anyways. It's just that we wouldn't be physically intimate with each other anymore, given the context. Um, so it was a rough, I mean, year or two, fresh out. So, of course, there was, this ex, there was increased surveillance on my movement. Um, I couldn't do extracurriculars anymore, uh, no matter what. I mean, even me working at Gibson Relay, which was something that I did, that, that became an issue. I'm like, what we need to do this? Like, this is something I've been doing. So there are a lot of challenges around it. Um, and I definitely felt for a period that I was almost a prisoner in my own home. And I, you, can, you can tell when someone is disgusted by the way they look at you. And, 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 and I felt that for a good two, three years living with my mom. I mean, and, but then with you, you get your little freedoms and slowly you slowly break out and become yourself. And I think at a point, she recognized I wasn't going to change, but she just, we just never spoke about it. Um, so this happened in 2010, and I think at about 2015, which is funny because on that birthday, so my birthday is always right before, it's the same date, but it's right before Pride. And so the first Pride, I didn't go to the Pride, but I went to the pre-Pride event that they had on my birthday, went, had a great time, came home, and I found this present at my door, um, which be, and I think she sent me a message saying that I don't agree with everything you do, but I will love you always. And that was the beginning of the beauty, the beautiful recreation of a positive relationship between me and my mother. And I do think a big part of that was as, was also my godmother, who's my mother's best friend, and she's a lesbian, and she had started revisiting Jamaica, um, and she had brought her partner and then eventually she had brought her fiance. I want to my mother up in a up in a Alice's arms and a table and I treat Alice as myself a this hypocrite. Imagine you have this <laughs> so bad. And I, I, I feel uncomfortable but you didn't open Alice. But I think that was also working through it. And so it did take a couple a good amount of years. But it got to the point that I remember Pride 2018, if I was 17 or 18. Let me remember which part of the breakfast party. No, it was 18. The breakfast party did keep this up. Friday 2018, my godmother's best, other best friend, who is also queer, her son is gay. And she brought him to the flag office and dropped him off so he could come to a pride event with me. And to me, that was probably the most beautiful expression of where she had come. And even and then even like the fact that 
me and her, we go out together and then she's met JV and she's met Sewell. She knows, she knows my best friends and coworkers. We spoke about my work once. We don't talk about a lot of things a lot, but that kind of underscored that we're, the fact that she was coming from a place of fear and concern about having this limited understanding of the possibilities of queer existence in Jamaica. And of course, her own upbringing about what is right and what is wrong and what would bring ruination to you. Um, and also feeling like she can't hold her head up. My mother's a woman where she doesn't really talk up, talk up to people. That's just how she is, right? And she very much believes that she must be able to walk and hold her head up. And another Jamaican and Caribbean phenomenon, you must be able to walk with pride about who you are and because you're living a righteous, you're living a sufficiently righteous life. And when you hear that the very thing, something you've taught to hate, despise, to see as the worst possible thing you could be, when you find out that this is who your child is, and that's something easy that to deal with. Like, you're not, you're not going to have no nuanced understanding of queerness. Queerness is one aspect of who you are. The more you recognize that your child is this very thing that you taught to hate, there's a knee-jerk reaction that I think a lot of parents go through, a lot of parents who weren't sensitized go through. And then as that image dissipates and they see their child in front of them in the fullness of themselves, and that does help based on the type of person you are if you're sufficiently successful it's easier and i know that sounds a way but the truth it's easier to see that my child is not just gay they're also brilliant they're also functional they're also somebody i can depend on to support me to help around the house to to re to re see all the greatness about their child notwithstanding something that you've learned to hate about them and so I think it's also me moving out did I also have an impact because then she recognized Mary you need to live with her and if she in a shape up, she might lose the relationship with her son, um, who she's seen in all of his beauty and splendor and also in all of his vulnerabilities. And I feel like that helped her. So I think for a lot of parents, it's kind of seeing your child again in a new light. But of course, they have to slowly be open to it. And it depends on how deeply enmeshed they are within their upbringing. Um, but that's, that's just, that's my experience. Moving from a place of, Every day I came home, my mother looked at me with a, the hate was obvious to now. Hardly a day goes by um, when she checks up on me. Like every day, when I was in the UK um, for um, last year, she was calling me almost every day, checking up on me, making sure I'm all right. Like I've, I've said um, publicly that we finally have that relationship that I used to have with her. And to me, it's the most precious thing to have because, you know, th that kind of love is there. And for me now, it's even more powerful because I'm sure she loves me because she knows all of me and loves me through it. Um, and that would not have happened if the kind of unfortunate, unfortunate stuff didn't happen. But still, we're not at such a great place. And I know many other people who've had that kind of long journey of them hate it first, them struggle through it, but through dialogue and engagement and reminding that their child is much more than this thing, they learn to love you all over again and in a much stronger and better way. Okay, great. So I know we are running maybe a little bit behind. I'm hoping Kareem can maybe do a, a, I don't know, an abbreviated version. But I do want to have like your story in order to kind of build a, a better sense of like what the possibilities like or what the results are, I guess, based on like different people's experiences. So if you could go ahead, Kareem. That's enough of talk, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I feel like I've spoken um, about my coming out experience because I 
equate that to coming out to my mom because that's the only person that I cared about. That if she knows, then I'm good. And I know that if she knew and she loved me nonetheless and she was able to become like my fierce cheerleader, then it doesn't matter who else knew because I know that she would um, essentially come to my defense if I needed to. So I wrote a letter in her purse because my mom is a whole health aide, which means she goes away um, ever so often. And so I put it on, an, I put the bag under her umbrella when she was leaving and she didn't see it until I actually brought it to her attention because we were speaking in the middle of the week and it's like nothing had happened. And I was, by now I was expecting some type of like pack your bags and get out. And I was expecting that because prior to me coming here in the, in the United States, I came here in 2011, she said something to me along the lines of, um, nobody come out far and come take on them freaky lifestyle, you know, or something of that sort. And in my mind, that registered as don't come here and become gay. And I was just like, oh shit, I need to let you know that I'm already gay. Um, and this had nothing to me to do with me coming to the United States. But anyways, much like Glenda, I saw my mom kind of like embracing other LGBTQ identified individuals, in particular Ellen DeGeneres. And I was like, okay. If she loves her this much, there's absolutely no way she could hate me. And so I went and I told her about the letter and she, um, I told her to read it and then call me back. She read it, she called me back and I kid you not, she went through like this roller coaster of emotions within like a two minute span. And I think that was like, looking back, I'm like so grateful for that. She went from like moments of denial, like, no, it's not true. I don't think it is. Maybe you're just going through a phase to asking me things like, were you rejected by a girl? Is your penis too small? Like all those other things. And, um, and then at the end, it became more so again, from that place of fear where it's like, all right, don't dress like this. Don't do this. Don't tell anybody else. Don't become like this, um, type of individual because she was kind of worried for my safety. And at the time we live in a very urban neighborhood, AKA um, the hood. And so the, uh, she was essentially scared about how other people would react to me, to me being flamboyant and me being who I am. Um, but kind of like fast forward about the different stages of growth that I've seen from her. Um, we, couldn't, we didn't really talk about me dating. Um, it wasn't something that she was into, but I think what allowed her to get to this place where now, um, when I got married, she was like the head cook on Bakrawasha, um, making sure everything was going well and blah, 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 and putting up money for the wedding and all these things was one, the influence of other family members who had traveled or lived abroad. So like my, my older brother who was residing in London at the time, as well as my grandmother and my aunt's. Um, I guess when she went to tell them, because she told me not to tell anybody else in the family, but she was already blabbing to everybody else. When she went to tell them, according to her, my grandmother's response was, nobody lick him now, nothing wrong with him, leave him alone, leave him alone, nothing wrong with him, make him stay, make him stay. And it was the same thing with my older brother who started to tell her how um, he had a lot of friends who were gay and they're wonderful beings and lovely individuals and so on and so forth. I think that allowed her to kind of, um, to kind of, see me in a different light but I think what really I guess was the thing that sealed it for me was I was very active in my undergrad years and her I started to invite her to the events and when she appeared to these events like people come to her literally like singing my praise like oh my god you must be so proud of your son you must love him so much he's just like all these like wonderful things that I'm grateful that they were able to say and I think that from that point on Literally, um, my introduction became, this is Kareem. This is my son, Kareem. He's gay. If you have a problem with that, then we essentially can't deal. 
And essentially, like, she would tell, like, men who were interested in her, I have a gay son, and if you can't accept that, then we might as well not continue to talk anymore. And it, we have, like, this beautiful relationship now where I could talk to her about the, my partners that I've dated or, well, now my husband. Um, I could go to her with, like, marital problems and be like, ma, he's getting on my nerves. What do you recommend? And we have kind of that cool relationship. And I love how she's evolved where she's now, like, I don't know, quote, unquote, the den mother for most of my friends. Um, and she loves that. So whatever family event is happening, it's not complete unless some of my friends are there. She loves having them around. She loves, she's, I don't know, would she be considered a fag hag? Um, I mean. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she loved, she loved loves having the gays around. Um and I think it's, she's still learning every day because I'm still like, ma, you can't say that, or ma, don't say, or, you know, she's like, for example, now our biggest struggle, she sounds like my child, right? And now our biggest um, hurdle is navigating um, gender identity and preferred gender pronouns and trans, especially like trans identity. So she'll see like a trans, um, a trans woman and still say terms like, oh, he's a girl. And I was like, uh, she's a girl um, and stuff like that. But I think it's, an ongoing process that for me, um, and I noticed my my relationship and my experience is somewhat unique, has been evolving beautifully, beautifully and um, yeah, I, I don't think I have any complaints right now. Okay, so I would also add in terms of Kareem's relationship with his mom, is that both of you are now at the point where you are fighting over clothing, so... Oh, yeah, sure yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yo, yeah. oh, God, no. She stays <laughs> in my closet, and I mean, I and hers, but more so hers. Like, we have, I have pocketbooks and handbags that go missing, and I'm like, wait, I know I had this, and I go in my room, and literally, guys, like, my clutches are literally tucked in her drawer because she liked it or there's some shawl or cape or blouse that I purchased and she wants it. Um, I remember I bought like um, these African print vest things um, and she literally took them, hid them in her closet and I was looking for them because I'm like, oh, it's Black History Month. I want to wear it here. I want to wear it there. And she's like, oh, if you wear it, don't post it yet until I wear it. I'm like, bitch. Like, <laughs> she would love that actually. Mm. So I just want to respond to a few things that y'all have said, and then I'm assuming people have questions. Um, so you don't ha- you don't feel obligated to respond to any of what I'm saying, but but I was just trying to f- um, pick out some of the themes that were coming out in the in the discussion and the stories. So I'm curious to as to, as I'm curious as to why uh, like letters seem to be um, a popular option. Like where does that fear come from, and like what is it about mothers? in particular where the um the anxiety is so high in comparison to telling um everyone else um Monin's point about was it i'm not sure if it was Monin's point or glenn or maybe both of you were gesturing to this idea of um sexual abuse and i was just thinking that's a fairly common story as a way for people to try to understand quote unquote how someone um turns gay which is really unfortunate because i've been asked that questions before and i was and by by someone and she was like are you sure like maybe you wouldn't need to think about no or maybe you like repressed the the memory i mean for my own sake though one question i was thinking about was in terms of um giving them time or room to work through their own feelings is it better to like maintain contact or is it better to just kind of like shut things down if it's like hostile and like give them room and then 
revisit maybe a few weeks or months um, later on. Um, part of what I've also been trying to do is I'm trying to recognize that like my parents come from a particular um, content, context, and so they don't have the kind of like vocabulary or, um, ex- or, or the points of reference to kind of like make sense of what's going on. So I'm also trying to think about how do we manage to extend some level of grace and like recognize that this is like a difficult thing um, for them to, to deal with. Um, so that, those are just some questions, but I mean, of course, if you have other things that you're thinking about, feel free to jump in. I mean, I could say that I chose the, the letter format because um, for me, it, it allowed me to get the words out. Like I couldn't see myself at that time saying to her face-to-face, mom, I'm gay. Like the time I was, all the worst case scenarios were flashing through my head and in my mind, if I gave her this letter, at least it allowed me to put some plan into motion. So if she says, throw, throw, like, you know, leave my house or whatever, at least I would have had some time to research these different um organizations that could take me in or whatever the case may be um and I think for her for me also I was thinking okay she needs to be able to process this as well um and it would allow her some time because I like I said I told her read it and once you got a minute call me back and she did she I mean she called me immediately um following which tells me she didn't really have the time to process it but it just felt like it could get the conversation started um and that was why I chose that and then for my mom I think for her like we had such a close relationship growing up um we still do but it was the when I think about like my sphere of influence and people around me I felt like that was the one that I cherished the most and I felt like just from the way she interacted when I was growing up, she always came to my defense. She was always like defending my honor and so on. I felt like if she, if I get her on my side, then I could through her get the, I don't know, the um, acknowledgement or the acceptance of everybody else in my family. I'm inclined to agree with that. Like I didn't do it in a letter form, but I did do it when I was removed from being in her person. Um, so when I went to uni, it was like, you know, one of the, the situations and, um, absolutely part of it was to be able to get the words out uninterrupted and to be able to precisely choose the words that I wanted to use partly because yeah like the uh, though it didn't come from me there were two things so okay trigger slash content warning I mean I've processed it but it's yeah but um when I was uh, in primary school I don't know if they don't know what the equivalent is but it's like when you're up until 11 in school uh, there was a situation where a molestation against me did happen. Um, and it's messed up my memory ever since because it's very murky, very, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what happened. I just know that something happened, but I'm not 100% sure as to what happened. So part of the conversation actually went the other way where it's like, did this thing that happened to you cause you to become gay? And the complication was is that uh, the accused at the time was my mum's then partner, right? And so there was this whole conversation around, does she stay with him? Does she like, all, the, all this kind of stuff happened. Uh, and it was a lot, it was very charged because uh, there was parts of, the, of my dad's side of family which were using this as a, an excuse to, to kind of get, you know, um, to make different pointed remarks about her parenting and you know, me being gay as part of her lack of parenting skills, etc. Secondly, I also had like an operation um, that involved me being cut open at the back and i remember it's, 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 this is where it's closer to what you guys were saying i was being asked multiple times by various different family members when it became more clear that i was gay like have you been what was the words like have you been doing anything funny 
over there? Like, have you been doing anything that you shouldn't be doing over there? And actually, all it was is like as a natural thing as an ingrown hair. But the conversation was very much like, again, it made me feel like I couldn't even discuss what was happening with my own body due to puberty because the conversation was more so that it was something that was unnaturally, that I'd caused to happen to myself. So all these things unrelated, but then related to how I then told my mum was like, well, I've seen how you've reacted when the molestation thing happened. I've seen how you've reacted when this thing's happened to my body, which I can't really control. Um, so for me, it's much better that I'm removed from telling you face to face. One, because I don't want to be interrupted. But two, the volatility of how you might react might actually just nullify the whole conversation uh, that we're having. And what's weird is like my mom and I, we have a good relationship and many other things. My mom gave me this one lesson on drugs, for example, that she became the coolest mother ever and put me off using drugs forever because of the way which she just broke it down. This is what this will do. That is what that will do from personal experience or from like her friend's experience. And she's had friends who are all over the LGBT spectrum. Um, LGB, I don't think she knew anyone that was T at this time. Um, but she was very clear and very open about telling me these things. But then the problem was when her son was now identifying as G, that now became a problem of did I invite this fluidity and freedom and whatever else that I had in my own friendship circles, did I invite this into my house and somehow influence my kids to become this? So yeah, there's definitely some bits for her that she had to work out. So to your point, Cornell, um, when I told her, I backed off. Like I didn't want to keep fanning the flames and fanning the flames, but I also didn't back off in so how you're doing, how are things, just like general text here and there, but not veering into that conversation too often. Um, but if she would ask me like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm spending time with my partner. I'm spending time with my boyfriend. Like you've asked me, so I'm gonna let you know, but it can't then be said that I'm bringing it to you, that which you say is uncomfortable. Yeah, but I think, um, Marlon, that's similar to, to my experience as well in terms of the issue that you said in terms of the volatility of how she might react. That was similar to my case in terms of why I chose to do it in a letter. And also, as Kareem, you've also mentioned, in terms of putting in your own words, um, I mean, you're expressing yourself and you want that space to be able to say, okay, this is who I am and this is why I'm, I am this particular way. And, and you want that, that avenue to be able to say it without having to see the expression on her face because I, I just didn't want to have to deal with the emotion of it. And I, th I just thought, okay, doing it to a letter would give me that space to be able to say, okay, this is what's going on in my life. This is who I am. And so we can have the conversation when you're ready to have the conversation. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not face to face with you and having to deal with, with the emotion of it. Um, I don't know if that's a chickening out in terms of of, of taking a, a safe route but for me that was the best route for me to be able to, to have the discussion and similar to you Marlon it's just that I, I I never brought it up again afterwards it's just like whenever you're ready to have the discussion then sure we can definitely have it um as I said to you um my partner at that point had been we had been traveling regularly to New York um so we still continued to, to travel to New York afterwards so when I came to New York um she would ask the question oh is he um is he coming to New York or is he there with you and I'd say yeah he is and so we would we'd have that level of discussion not to the extent of okay um how is he doing he would sometimes come around the house it's just that he couldn't stay there he couldn't sleep um but he still he had known my family for for a number of years and so he still came and visited with my mom and my dad um it's just that you know the discussion of 
what's happening here was just not um, was not a, a deeper discussion. And um, now that I'm married, it's a little bit different. And I think pe- they, she has evolved on some level. Um, from my experience as well, um, my dad's dad um, is was gay. Um, and so my mom, from the religious aspect of it, seems to think that this is um, this generational curse that is coming down through the family. And so she sort of blamed my dad at some point for, you know, um, the influence of this um, gay gene or whatever it is, this gay evil spirit that has come through from from his father um, has now infiltrated into me. I don't know how she rationalized that in her head. Um, and so even when I, I went through the discussion of, of saying, mom, you know, this is, I, I'm getting married. This is what's going to happen. Um, my dad, um, um, surprisingly, was it has been very, very supportive, which is which is surprising to me because even in the letter when I I, I came out to my mom, I said, "Do not tell my dad." I I didn't want to deal with um, disappointing my dad, um, especially knowing that my grandfather was gay and how he had had to deal with that. I explicitly said to her, "Don't tell him," but he was the one who called and said to me afterwards uh, because she she did in fact tell him. And he's like, okay, this is your life and you deal with it. Um, you live your life however you decide to, deal, to live your life. I cannot tell you how to live your life. So he's been very, very supportive. And when I was getting married, my dad was all on board. He wanted to be there. Um, he wanted to be at my wedding. My mom was the total opposite, which was just so surprising to me. So for her, it's, it, and I think it comes from that, because she's still very, very religious. She's still very, very much involved in church. And so for her, it's just this goes against every religious bone in her body and so she cannot she cannot reconcile that with um with her son being gay and and for my mom it's it's like this is not what i wanted for you this is not and i i said to her but what do you mean this is not what i wanted for you i'm i'm successful in every other sphere in in any other aspect of my life i would be what would be considered as a, a success uh, but for some reason she cannot get over the fact that that part of of me is is somehow a failure on her, on her part and so um, i guess she's still grappling with that and so I, I have given her the space to continue to deal with it uh um i just want to also highlight from what a lot of us have talked about is the reality that society blames women for their gay sons especially black women yeah. so, especially when we talk about oh the dangers of single parenthood is there's this notion that a strong-willed mother and an absentee father makes us gay. And so those of us who come from that situation, our mothers are quick to blame themselves, blaming themselves for the man so you know, but them never have the good influence in their life and right. all what they did wrong. So I think even for a lot of our mothers, they search for, if it's not for themselves, they search for other reasons to say, what caused this? What did I do wrong? And I think some of, some of the lashing out comes from that, comes from feeling like you're a failed mother because you weren't able to buy yourself Absolutely. Produce, uh, a man. Because of course we treat queerness as if it takes away from manhood. I wasn't able to produce a man by myself and what I produced was something less than, and this is my fault. So I think it's useful also to, to acknowledge why some mothers react that way. And I think we trust our mothers because some of us, whether it is prepared or a nuclear home, um, society has said that mothers nurture and fathers provide. And so we often build these relationships of trust and confidence through that nurturing with our fathers that a lot of us don't build with our fathers. And so through that softness and that care that we receive, we expect that kind of tenderness and understanding when we and to the 
that we don't get that, that's why we're kind of shocked and put off because then our fathers that for, you know, a lot of our minds are more detached because they provide them, they look at teaching. Um, it's not, we don't expect as much from them. And so when, it ha- when our mothers react negatively, it will hurt us a bit more because of more often than not the kinds of closeness that we've built with them. And, and I, as I said before, I think the, the reaction for a lot of them, it's a lot of things. Um, it's, it's really just find, trying to find out for a lot of them where we went wrong. And is it too late to fix it now? Can I still be a proud mother um, given that I fucked up? And that's, that's what a lot of them have to grapple with, the notion that they fucked up. I agree with that. I, I, one of the things that me and my mum went back and forth around was her, her it's, it's exactly the point you're talking about, but it's the lose-lose situation of, I don't think I know anyone else who is in the same situation as me who has a gay son or a gay daughter. So for my mum, it's like in her head, she was the only person that has this going on, right? And so at the same time, for her to come out there and say, cool, let me go and find anybody else that I can talk this story to, is running the risk of her, exactly as you're saying, having that conversation with someone who might then turn around and say, it's because of your own failings why your son is the way in which he is. So one of the things that I said to her is, you know, forums, go online, look for, for, I'm sure there must exist something or a place in which you can find conversations to have with other Black mothers around um, the fact that their sons are gay or their kids are queer or whatever the situation might be. I I don't know if she followed up on that. I don't know how successful that would actually be in practice. But totally one of her things was, I feel isolated for who I can talk to about this because I run the risk of not only outing you to someone who I might not want to out you to, but, you know, I may not get the support back as a Black mother um, for the kid that I've now created and put into the world. Yeah, I mean, I've tried to um, be mindful of... uh... I don't want to say like creating opportunities, but but there are people. Okay, so the first thing that I want I wanted to mention actually, there are. I almost want to be like you know, a lot of the friends that you've met, they're all gay, FYI, and a lot of the parents of these people that you've met are like totally fine with it. Um, I don't think we're at the stage yet where uh, she would be open to to dialogue. Um, she, I mean, again, based on the conversations that we've had, like she's just like not having it at all, but. Um, and I mean, to I think Chanel and Glenroy gestured to this in terms of, the, you know, success and all of these other things. I mean, by, you know, whatever measures people use to judge success, I'm doing fairly well for myself. But again, because of the nature of how the Jamaican society works, or it's kind of like, well, this one thing is going to override all of these other things that you should be proud of otherwise, I guess. Um, I know I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess it's not really up to me to figure out how to, how to deal with that. But I think that might be one of the things that she's going to be grappling with. Like, how, how can this be made uh, not as a, I don't know, an over-determining factor in how I um, see my son? But who knows? Who knows? I think your responsibility is to just be. Be that son you've always been throughout it all understand that she's going through this process that will take however long it takes every parent's journey is different and just be prepared to answer whatever questions and i know this this can be uncomfortable and and invasive the truth is the best way for our parents to understand us is to clarify their misconceptions and i i've seen it i mean outside in my work i've seen that the best way for people to get away from the stereotypes that they have is through honest and open conversation. So 
I think the only thing you can do is just be ready for the conversation whenever she brings it up and not internalize some of the, some of the things that might be said throughout the process that it's not about you. You have you, there's nothing wrong with you. And I mean, we, this is basic and you know this, but it, it's hard to hear certain things coming from our mothers. But if we understand that this is about their journey, their process, and that it more often than not doesn't take away from the fact that they still love us, hard as that might be able to accept when it's fresh, that then, you know, we will be better able to kind of come through on the lighter side. Because um, I will always say this, and I know for some it's a weird thing, that the only reason why we understand um, for a lot of queer people, why we understand how to um, be accepting and open is because we live it. We have the quote-unquote best of the experience. And so we, through our processes of self-acceptance, we've had to do away with the narratives and the unfortunate things. And some of us don't. Some of us still have internalized homophobia. Many of us in the community have very transphobic and sexist values because we've never lived as, for example, a trans woman or a lesbian woman. And so we have these unfortunate values. And so it is through our lived experience that we've become liberated. And our parents don't have our lived experience. They have no reason to have our lived experience and to be open. And so until they start their own process, they will not know. Some of them will through their relationships with their friends, but largely it's unfortunately our responsibility as queer people to bring our loved ones along on our journeys at their own pace. And I think it's rough now, but you've started a process and usually when it starts bad, it really can get worse. So, and I fully believe that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So we'll see. Indeed we will. Um, I'm also trying to prepare myself that like, it's entirely possible that the, this won't have a happy ending and being okay with that. I think for the, a lot of us are invested in this, well, they're going to be obsessed at the beginning and then eventually they'll go get over it and we'll be able to get to a place of that is like good. Um, but also keeping in mind that might very well not being the case and that can be okay too. So... So kind of um, following up on something, well, I don't know if this is what you were gesturing to or alluding to or leading to, but um, I, I was having this conversation with Cornell Glenroy about navigating these kind of conversations, but also feeling free or, um, I don't know, empowering yourself to draw a line. And let me clarify myself, I mean, drawing a line. I think in processing, some of these things become really hurtful and they, the jabs or the statements that are made can really go below the belt. And one, I guess, point of advice that I've offered to Cornell is, you know, feel free to kind of, to draw the line, to say, hey, I know this is hurting. I know you're processing. I know, you know, this is hard for you to digest, but we can do so in a way that is not so toxic or not so, um, that still remains respectful for both parties. I don't know if that's something that anybody else agrees to, but Absolutely. I just feel like, Absolutely. Yeah, I just feel like sometimes we, you know, because we're so accustomed to essentially being on the shitty end of the stick and having those remarks thrown at us that we feel like, you know, it comes with the territory. Some things mm-hmm. come with the territory and some things do not. And so for anybody else who's going through this process or I think that we're embarking on this process, my point of advice would be to, cause I've even had to like, as much as my experience has been way more positive, I've had to draw those lines with my mom, like, hey, no, that's not cool. Or, you know, just to, to stand firm, to say, I won't allow you to degrade me or disrespect me 
in 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 that um in such a manner i completely agree with you on that like um in terms of like some of the stuff that my mom has sent to me in the past is where where we've clashed has been where she has either sensationalized something or taken one example of something and blown it up to be an example of everything and your point is exactly that like we can have constructive conversations where if you're asking me in a way to educate you on something cool happy to do it but if you're coming at me with a way of trying to make a point i'm going to call you out on that as much as you are my mom it's it's a point you're trying to score and so with that respect is so what is the end point of this conversation so you know predict the ending of this if this is going to continue in this manner where will we be at the end of this and that has usually helped her to i guess to bring it down and you know sometimes she has admitted it and been in the case of i'm just frustrated and i don't know what to say so i am just lashing out and those are the moments where actually me and my mom have got a very tight relationship because I'm also able to say, look, I totally get it too. Like I'm lashing out back because I'm also frustrated in having to respond in this way to you. But I fully agree. Like the line has to be drawn where there's a way in which you can ask something in which you can assume something, but you can't come at me with the charge of that as though we're back in, you know, the days of me living at home and them kind of things there. So I I fully. Okay. Um, Okay, so I feel like, and I mean, there's any number of things that we could continue talking about, but like for the sake of time, um, I did want to, I guess, as a, a wrap-up question, um, and, I, and I mean, I guess there are a few things, like what might be something you are grateful for now in terms of your relationship with your mother and or um, what is something that you are hoping for in your relationship with your mother in future? Mm. They get them, I go first. Do not go at once now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say with mine, it, it was grateful, right? Was that the first one that you used? Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I'm grateful that I came out the other end. So where I guess what I'm saying is that me and my mom's relationship now is far more adult to adult. Yes, we're mother and son, but it's far more we can have constructive conversations about life. Like we've talked uh, multiple different things coming at it from the gay angle, coming at it from the woman's angle and just kind of met in the middle about certain things, shared stories that are uh, quite similar about certain things. Um, And it's been very, very enlightening. And I'm grateful for the fact that me and my mom have got to this point. It's been rocky. It's been, you know, all the kind of things there. But I honestly do believe that it could be anything that a mother and son could pop off about and have falling outs with. So I guess maybe the other thing that I'm kind of grateful for is the, the ways in which we both recognize that we love each other more than the need to have animosity again in another generation going forward. So yeah, we, mm. we're good. We're good. Mm. I like that. I think similarly, I'm glad that through this experience, with my mom, I've somewhat gained like a girlfriend, like a genuine girlfriend. Like she's my good, good Judy. Like the way I've spoken to my mom and her, me, have like literally shocked people. Like, oh my God, are you guys re- like, is this a parent child relationship right now? Like I've literally been in public and be like, bitch, you see that? And she's like, what bitch? And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> or, um, That's cute. or I'll say stuff like, um, 
bitch, don't do that. She's like, slut, don't talk to me like that. And I'm like, <laughs> mom. And, and so I, I said, because I've been able to, and I think it's a two-way thing where she's been able to come to me with like her deepest, darkest fears and concerns. And I could go to her with that. And I honestly think it's because we've had like this layer, this added layer to our relationship. Like it was always, we always had that, but it seemed kind of one way. Like she would confide in me with certain things, but I didn't feel like I could confide in her until I came out to her where I could confide in her about all things. And so I'm kind of grateful for that. Yeah, for me, it's, it's um, what I'm grateful for is I think my mom sees me. Um, and I don't know if, 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 if I'm articulating this um, clearly enough. I think you're seeing the full me. So it was, it's not something where I have to hide um, anymore that I'm gay, that I'm living with my partner, that I'm married, that I'm happy. Um, and so it, it's just, you know what, through this journey, um, we've had our ups and downs and it's been tough, but you see me and, um, and we can have the discussion whenever you're ready. So um, we can, and you can ask about my partner, you can ask about my husband, uh, um, and, and you know the full person. So it's not, there's no, nothing else that I need to hide from you and you see me as a full person um, and we can move on from that, wherever that, that takes us out, outside of, of this. But, but you know the full uh, spectrum of your son and, and, and that for me is, is what I'm grateful for out of the entire experience. Mm. Damn, okay. Um, and Glenroy? Yeah. So for me, I'm grateful for the knowledge that my mother loves me unconditionally. And that's something I would not have known, but for what happened and how we went through that journey. Um, and I guess I think that's truly, honestly, it. Like, I know she loves me. And I know she, like, because there, there was about five years when she never said those words. And I think she probably wasn't able to. And then we got to the point where she could say it again. I knew she meant it. I didn't mm. having the greatest treasure. Mm-hmm. And Cornell, what are you hopeful for? What am I hopeful for? I or grateful for? Oh, I mean, okay, well, I will say I am grateful that the lines of communication haven't been severed as of yet. And so in some ways, perhaps that might serve as the foundation for um, something better or a way to get beyond this in, in future. It's still relatively new, so we'll have to see. But um, in her own way, there is a kind of gesture of love or care um, that will have to be, I, I don't know, we'll have to negotiate what that looks like in in future. Because right now, love is being expressed as you need to, I don't know, go pray or do whatever. Um, but I think I, w- I want to take the pushback at least in part as a an expression of care if nothing else if that's not completely naive um and then we'll see what to be determined um okay so thank you all for sharing first of all um i wish we had more time uh and perhaps we will have variations of this same conversation uh in future all right so thank you for listening (laughs) um if you have gone through something similar, um, we'd love to hear from you. So please do uh, tweet at us, uh, email us, send us um, messages and so forth. You can find us at Fish Podcast and in Instagram, Facebook, 
and Twitter, um, email phdpodcast at gmail.com. Um, hopefully some of you were able to take something from this. Um, and if that is the case, we really would love to, to hear from you. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs> um, bye. Bye. Remember to stay sophisticated, bitches. <laughs> <laughs>